I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Through Their Eyes, our special series featuring Utah teenagers discussing current events on Utah's Morning News with Tim and Amanda. Such a pleasure each week to get to sit down with some young people here in the state of Utah and ask them, what do you think about the news of the day? And help me understand how your generation feels about important topics. And this week, I have Josh, Kaylin, and Gracia with me. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, I guess I'll start with some of the more difficult topics of the week and ask you how you feel about um, some of the difficult things that we've seen go on. And let's begin with... Let's begin with, we saw two uh, killings that took place last weekend, both in places of worship. And that uh, was followed by an article in USA Today that was headlined, U.S. mass killings hit a record high in 2019. This seems to be the age of mass shootings. Um, that caught me because I thought the age of mass shootings. Is that really true in your estimation, Josh? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I think, you know, just even over the past few decades, you know, we've seen just kind of the the start of these mass killings and, and how they've grown in their consistency. Mm-hmm. Even as we've seen shootings go down, mass shootings have gone up. I thought that was so interesting, just statistically, that shootings, murders have gone down, but mass murders have gone up in this way. Does that say anything to you? I think that says something about the polarization of of ideas in in our society and of just... I don't know, just the the trend of extremism in in our society, and I think a lot of these these shootings are are motivated by you know extreme ideas mm. or thoughts. Are you thinking at all about the recent location of both of these killings in the last week taking place in places of worship? Does that speak to you on any level, or because they've taken place in every location? Does that not have any specific relevance? Yeah, I think I think that's very important to know. I think um, places of worship are often places of, of community and are very strong um, places that people kind of identify with or maybe against in these situations. And so where, where you have religious identity being a very strong point for some people, I think um, that's... Uh, very motivating factor in in all of this. Hmm. 
Let me ask you, um, Kaylin, they've monitored these numbers since the 1970s, before you were born. So you've never, am I right in saying, you've never really known a time when mass shootings were not part of our society, although they have been increasing in number. Do you feel like that's just, are mass shootings just a part of of the world as you understand it? Speak to me about how you see this. I think it's really interesting to think about kind of how I've grown up because I know that I hear more about these mass shootings and killings now than I did as a child. And I think part of that might be because I was a child and kind of more sheltered from it. But I think... the killings have gone up even as I've grown up. And so I do think that it has just kind of been uh, a really sad part of my life. And like, it's always paid um, attention is always drawn to it with a lot of respect and trying to um, trying to respect the individuals who have been hurt or killed. But it's been, I guess I never even thought about a time when it didn't happen. And because I'm older so much older, I remember a time when this was just not a part of our world, at least not on a weekly basis, to the point where it's almost not news. That frightens me, that I'm in the news business, and a mass shooting is, there are some mass shootings that don't make the news if they're within a family. So if a member of a family kills four or more people within the family, that's technically a mass shooting because four or more people have been killed, but it's within a family, and so it doesn't make the news necessarily. That frightens me that they're not news because they've become so commonplace. Any thoughts about that? I think it's it's frightening to me, too, even though I didn't know a time where it would have been all of them would have been news, anything that was happening. But I think that I still, it still is terrifying, I suppose you could say. And just, I, I wish that they weren't happening. And I think that it's terrible that it does happen, but it's just kind of, just kind of scary that it does happen often enough for that, for, for a lot of them to go unnoticed. Do you think, Gracia, that we talk about them too much in the news? Is that possible? I don't think so. I think they deserve a lot more attention than they're getting. I think the scariest part for me is how normalized this has become in our society, about how, you know, even children are so familiar with this. You know, we see drills going on in elementary and middle schools And that's just scary to me that I think we've let it get to the point where this is just normal for kids. I have had conversations with my 14-year-old, and he says in, in in almost a flat tone that he expects this might happen in his school. When he, the first time he said that, I was floored. And I thought, is that just bravado? Or does he really, has he seen so much of it in the news that he thinks it might happen? So to your point, I think that we've become numb to it on a certain level. Hmm. Um, Any other thoughts about this topic before I change topics? Um, I want to ask you about um, 
this interesting article in the Deseret News about how Jews, many Jews, were afraid to put a menorah in the window this Hanukkah because of anti-Semitism being up. Um, what was your thought about that? If I can start with you, Kaylin. Sure. Uh, I thought that it was interesting to an interesting time of the year for anti-Semitism to be on the rise, I guess. I hadn't really thought about what that would mean for Jewish people. And I thought it was interesting to hear about people who were taking that as uh, taking that as a time for them and an opportunity for them to be even more proud of their religion and the things that they believe. And I thought it was inter- an interesting opportunity for others as well to be able to like stand in solidarity with them and like support them in worshiping their religious holidays and so people who weren't jewish were putting up menorahs in their windows as well because they wanted to be subject to the same kinds of um persecution that their jewish neighbors were were going to be facing and i thought that was really a cool a cool break from all of the hatred that exists in our country and it just seems like we see a lot more of that and that a lot more hatred than is pleasant and ideal. And I thought it was really cool to see that there is still some goodness and that we can still kind of stand together and have some sort of community. Yes. Gracia, what do you think? Um, I think it's really, you know, just kind of interesting how important religious freedom is in America. Uh, But religious freedom can't just protect Christian values. You know, they have to protect Buddhist and Shinto and Jewish values as well. Um, And, you know, every other religion. Um, And in my experience at BYU, my favorite classes have been my global religions classes. And I think that what this really comes down to is education, because learning more about different cultures and different religions increases your tolerance and your love and respect for those people of different religions. I feel a truth in that. What do you say, Josh? I think this is another example of kind of the extremism in our society and just kind of the idea that people like define themselves by, by religion or, or race or whatever. And, and I think a lot of people view Americans as as Christian and and white and fortunately you know even in like the beginning of the United States it wasn't even just Christians it was like Protestants right and people who were Irish were persecuted and and it's good that we're moving away from that but it is very unfortunate that we still have to to deal with that and see the effects of that and I think just the more that we can accept these people and and get them into the workforce and things like that, then we'll see see the effects of, of racism and this kind of identity prejudice go away. So wonderful to hear uh, your wisdom from the three of you. Um, may I ask you uh, what you thought about, we saw um, the President of the United States tweet and maybe retweet um, the name of the whistleblower uh, over the weekend. What did you think, Gracia, about that? Was that uh, appropriate or inappropriate in in your opinion? I thought it was completely inappropriate. Um, You know, by retweeting the name 
of the presumed whistleblower, he was not only attacking, you know, the whistleblower's complaints, he was attacking his formal impeachment as well. And he was saying, you know, this is a sham. He was attacking an American citizen and he was directing his allies and his supporters to attack him as well. So, you know, I think that Trump's use of Twitter is inappropriate in the first place. But this really struck me as one of the most inappropriate ways that he's used his platform. What do you think, Josh? I think one one argument that I've noticed come up a lot is this idea that people have a right to to know who's you know bringing charges against you and and whatnot according to the Constitution. But whistleblowers don't bring charges; they they bring evidence forth, and then other people bring those charges. So, for example, in this case, it would be the House would be the one who's bringing the charges forward and the whistleblower is simply putting forth that evidence. And so I think it was very inappropriate and that the whistleblower should have been protected. That's a very interesting distinction I've not heard made uh, before. What do you think? I kind of think along with what Gracia was saying, it, instead of even just attacking the politics of the impeachment, it, it was a it became a personal, a really personal attack that was that was um, redirected directly towards someone's a person towards someone identity towards someone's identity in a way that really could ruin their life and like ruin their political career and just other chances at careers and I think there's a lot of partisanship that could I'm not sure what that means for the the presumed whistleblower but I think that it just became a really personal attack that I think is really inappropriate for a president to kind of get behind. Mm. What's your understanding, Kaylin, of, a, of, of the, I mean, whistleblowers should be, the identity is protected. We protect whistleblowers for a purpose. Right. And so your understanding is that he violated that, that purpose in, tw- in, tw- in tweeting. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Hmm. And I think there needs to be some accountability behind the whistleblowing but I don't think that this, the, that President Trump retweeting his name was holding him accountable in any way because I think the evidence has – it's been tried and they've looked at it and been able to assess its um, credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, Through Their Eyes on KSL News Radio. Back in just a moment. My guest this week on KSL News Radio, Kaylin is here with Josh and Gracia, and we're talking about a, a number of different issues. And I want to ask uh, the three of you about this because uh, we've watched uh, what some communities have done around the country in the laws that they've passed regarding homeless people. Even if they don't say specifically that it's about homeless people, they'll pass laws um, saying that it's illegal to sleep on the street or it's illegal to do this and such. So my question, I guess I'll start with you on this one, Gracia, is um, is it illegal to be homeless in America? That was the headline that I read, and I thought it was so fascinating because we, uh, we're passing laws that are, are sort of forcing us to ask that question. When we say you can't sleep here, you can't lie down here, you can't sit here, is it illegal to be homeless in America? How did you understand that? Well, I was really glad that the Supreme Court struck down 
you know, the law that was made um, and prosecuted by the Ninth Circuit. Um, it seems, you know, the law itself was as absurd as, you know, criminalizing homelessness because you're criminalizing all the behaviors that, you know, come along with being homeless. Um, and I think that if, you know, homeless people are on the streets and states are saying we don't have enough control over, you know, the health and the safety of our communities, then we're doing something wrong as, you know, communities, as states, as a country. We're not protecting them. We're not giving them the support that they need. And there are other ways to address it. Right. Is what I'm hearing from her. Do you agree with that, Kaylin? What do you say? Yeah, I think I would agree. I think reading about different laws that have been passed that make it really difficult to not be prosecuted for being homeless. I think it uh, helped. It kind of made me realize that there are concerns with homeless people living on the streets. And like for the rest of the public, there are like health concerns and sanitation problems that arise. But I think criminalizing homelessness isn't the way to stop it. It just seems like this, like the criminalization of homelessness kind of uh, furthers the divide between people who are able to provide enough to live in a home. Um, versus those who can't because they're just like there's jail time and imprisonment and inability to work to be able to make enough money to live in a home. Mm-hmm. What say you, Josh? I think by passing these sort of laws, you're just making it that more difficult for these people to get out of homelessness because spending time in jail is a very hard thing. And if people are doing that and then they're coming back out with you know even less than what they had before then it's just that much more difficult to get out of homelessness. And so I think in that way, you're making it more of a problem than than actually solving it. How would you go about it differently? And does any thought come to mind? I think for me, just having programs to get people into jobs. um, I think there needs to be more research done about uh, housing for the homeless and and supporting them in that way. Mm. Does any do any of the other two of you have any thoughts about how you would go about it differently rather than criminalizing the behavior? Well, the article that I read mentioned a lot of really big steps um, that the federal government could take along with steps that the local communities could take. On the local level, I think we can do a better job of improving homeless shelters and resources for homeless people to get themselves off their feet. On a federal level, I do believe that one of the biggest things we can do is raising the minimum wage. Mm. What do you think about that, Kayla? I am not totally sure where I stand on how much the federal government should be involved because I I do think that as a member of my community, I think I would like to help make my community better, but I also don't want to have to be responsible for necessarily putting these homeless people into homes and funding them. But I definitely think that there is something that I can do. And I think Grace is right about like, especially on a community level, um, trying to make it possible for these homeless people to not just be stuck on the streets in some way by improving shelters or whatever resources that we have to offer them, I think mm. is a good place to start. Such good thoughts. Um, we are recording this program uh, two days before the first of the year. And so I'm going to ask the obnoxious question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can absolutely tell me that, that this is not something you do. And, and I'll respect that answer. Uh, do you make New Year's resolutions? And if you do, would you be willing to share them with me? Uh, forgive me, Kaylin, I'll start with you. 
I have not always been, I'm still, I'm not very good at making New Year's resolutions. That's fine. I don't know if it's good or bad. No, I think it is good. I think it, I think it's good to make goals for myself. I think a lot of times I'll set really specific ones. And then when things don't go the way I want them to, then I kind of just throw the whole plan out the window. And then that's when it becomes a problem. So I'm trying to set goals that I can manage. I guess. <laughs> and so my goals this year are kind of looking a little bit more like I want to um, start writing papers earlier and like just just kind of baby steps and whatever earlier means for me. We don't know, but hopefully it'll be helpful. <laughs> um, and just trying to be like more active, trying to exercise more often. And probably I would like to play the piano more often and just kind of things like that to help keep me keep me on track and keep me thinking about doing the things when I feel like I can't do them instead of feeling like I've destroyed my goals within a week of the near starting. <laughs> I just, I'm inspired by that. Joshua, what about you? Uh, I think one thing I'm trying to work on this year is making a distinction between like a goal and a, and a plan. So for, for me, at least I used to always be like, my like goal would be to, I don't know, do 10 pushups every day, but that's not very exciting. And so for me, I want to like change that shift and have you know the goal to be to you know just be stronger, right? That's more exciting than just you know doing something that is kind of a chore, right? And so for me, I, I want to kind of make that distinction in my head a little bit better and and manifest that, and when I write them down and plan things out. So the goal is to be stronger. The plan is to actually do something. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got you, Gracia. What about you? You know, I think. New Year's goals are interesting because I think I view them more as a way to reassess how my past year went instead of how, you know, everything that I want to do different in my future year. I guess that, you know, they have some sort of correlation, but I use them as a way to kind of look back at my year, see what I really liked about how I performed and, you know, what I did and see what I didn't like. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a of an assessment. Yeah. Do you apply it to any any sort of challenge that you make to yourself going forward or do you, do you look at it just as an assessment? Um not formally. Yeah. You know, my goal for like 5 years has been to become ambidextrous, but Wow, what a goal. You know, that's That's very exciting. (laughs) No, it is exciting. I think that's really exciting. May I ask why or is that too personal? Um my grandma was ambidextrous. I just think it's cool. I do. I think it's cool, too. Uh, an unusual goal. Yeah. And very cool. Um, may I ask you now, sort of similarly, what your hope is for 2020 um, for yourself? So I guess in three contexts, I'll start with you, Josh. Your hope for 2020 for yourself, for the country, and for the world. And I'll start with you. Um, I think one thing for me is to become a little more open-minded towards the experiences of other people and their and their opinions and things beautiful and then for the world um i would just hope that i don't know people become more accepting of each other and and similarly just with my personal hope just that people can sort of recognize the difference that other people have from themselves and become more accepting, I guess, of the fact that people are different with 
their opinions, even if we might think they're wrong. And that's just okay, and that's how it is. That's a healing hope. What about for you, Kayla? I think for myself specifically, I've been trying to become more aware of what I have control over and what I don't. And I think it's been a really eye-opening experience for me to try and figure out or to be aware of with other people, like what I can help and what I can't, but also with myself. And when I'm feeling frustrated and angry at someone or sad, I just have a lot more control than I realized. And realizing that has been a really healthy shift and being able to kind of make changes in what I do have control over is something that I want to be a lot better at this year. Um, I think my hope for the country would kind of be along the lines of, or just kind of similar to things we've talked about today i would hope that we can coexist better together just in a couple in like a philosophy class i was taking this year we talked a lot about patriotism and one of the philosophers that we studied um thought of patriotism as um like commitment and loyalty to the nation as a project and i thought that was a really cool concept is that it's not necessarily Um, patriotism isn't being a Republican or a Democrat and it's not supporting every single bill and every single law that is passed, but it's, um, wanting what is best for the nation and we all have to do that together. And so I think if I would love to see, um, a more patriotic shift in that way in our country. Yeah. And I think just the same thing around the world, just being able to coexist and help each other would be my hope. I hear similar themes between you and Josh in that way. What about for you, Gracia? Um, I really like the distinction that Kaylin made between party loyalty and patriotism. I think that that is really an important thing to note going forward into 2020, especially because of you know the upcoming elections and all the political turmoil that our country is about to go through. Um, I hope that we can continue to get high school students and college students more engaged in the civic process. That would be my hope for the world in 2020. Um, Just because I think that civic engagement is one of the most important things that you can teach to your youth. Um, Because you have to get them interested in the issues and policies and politicians that are going to make or break, you know, the rest of their lives. These are going to affect us for the rest of their lives. So if you're not interested or engaged, then, you know, you're apathetic. Where do you see yourself in five years, Gracia? In five years, I see myself in a job that I love, you know, working with a lot of people and making connections that I love to be with. Will it be in politics? Probably not. (laughs) I probably will go into some sort of user experience design, but I don't think that that negates me from participating a lot in local government. Yes, but that won't be your career. That'll just be something. I gotcha. I gotcha. What about for you? Where do you see yourself in five years, Kim? That's funny. So that you think I know. <laughs> I, bravo, I, bravo. <laughs> you don't need to know. You said that. I certainly no. did not know at your no, age. No, it's okay. Yeah. I definitely agree with Gracia, though. I think I'll be working, doing something that I love. I'm not sure what that is yet. I don't even, still working on like classes for next semester. So it's just kind of all a process. But I'd love to work with people and being able to help them and kind of be able to communicate with others and be able to make some sort of difference that way i'd love to be doing that in five years i love i love that please josh um i'm a little bit younger than these guys so i'll probably (laughs) still be in college yeah Um, and 
I don't know. Hopefully, I'll just have closer relationships with the people that I know now and form new relationships. Any uh, any particular field that you're interested in that you know of, Josh? Um, I do like politics. I'm also really interested in law and economics. So something maybe in that in that area. Yes. Um, I think I just have one last question for you, and it may be the most important one of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, let's settle the issue. Was Rise of Skywalker a good movie or not? Have you seen it? First of all, show of hands, who's seen the movie? You're the only one who's seen it. Right. Okay, Josh. So you two aren't, don't have an opinion. Okay. So Josh, you and I are going to have this discussion. Sounds good. Was it was the new Star Wars movie a good movie or not? I I don't believe so. Why not? I think it was a a remake of the of the sixth Star Wars, the sixth episode, um, and I don't know. Just watching the movie, it was. Just kind of everything happening just was like predictable and like, all right, just going through the motions. Um, that being said, it was a cool movie to watch and I I did like the six Star Wars, so it was, that was nice, but I don't think it was a particularly good movie. So it wasn't outstanding. Right. Oh, it didn't meet up to your expectations. Yeah. You guys aren't into Star Wars or you just aren't into movies? Little Women was great. I've never oh, seen Star Wars. Okay, but <laughs> okay I need to like see Little Women. Yeah. What about for you? Not into Star Wars? You know, I love Harry Potter so much. I can't divide my love into Star Wars. And apathetic is not usually a word I use to describe myself. But that's kind of how I feel about Star Wars. That's hysterical. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, the three of you are magnificent. I want to say Happy New Year to all of you. Will you please come back and see me again? Please, please, please. Of course. <laughs> Will you please come back? Sure thing. Please, 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 please come back. Absolutely. All right. And we'll see you next week right here on Through Their Eyes.